Wade, Michael, and Al. Do you know that this morning you can say by faith, I've been redeemed? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know how many of us have gotten the opportunity yet this morning just to sit under the fountain of God's love and drink deeply of the fact that He is a living and loving God who has poured out grace beyond measure. Some of you may have woken up this morning beat up by the week, and I just want to encourage you that today is a new day, (laughs) and that God's mercies are new every single morning. Great is His faithfulness. How are you guys doing this morning? On a, on a thumbs up to thumbs down scale, I, I, I'm a kind of a visual guy, so if you could just give me a little bit of a thumbs meter this morning. Well, where are you at this morning? Okay, Ooh, we've got some amazingly high two thumbs up. All right, okay, some of us are a little more on the honest side. Okay, this is all right. <laughs> all right, all right. You know what? Um, I tell you what, no matter where you are on that meter, God's grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. You know, it's fun, just with that little exercise, I realize, you know, sitting up here, and I'm looking at, I'm looking at pews, um, I see a lot of green, and, you know, sometimes that tells me, oh, people are out enjoying the weather and stuff like that, but then that, that little exercise reminded me that sometimes it's green because the little ones are down low, and so, <laughs> anyways, so it's good to know that, um, careful, because this older generation may become outnumbered pretty soon, <laughs> Now, that's not something to be scared about. That's something to praise the Lord about. That is a miracle beyond measure. Amen? Uh, Let the little children come, Jesus says. Make it as easy as possible. Permit them. Unleash them. Let the horses out of the gates. Boom! Let them come. And uh, praise the Lord, they are coming. Um, I want, speaking of children, uh, I want to let you know that um, I slept well last night. Praise the Lord. (laughs) No, that's not what I wanted to let you know. Speaking of children... I wanted to let you know that uh, the preschool ministry that we have here is growing, praise the Lord. And um, we know that recently we we took down these redwood trees uh, because of practical matters, uh, but we do need to take care of this little play area, making sure there's sufficient shade. We also need to do some refurbishing and stuff. And actually tomorrow afternoon, Miss Eva, can you correct me on the time? Is it 3 to 5 p.m. Okay, from 3 to 5 p.m. here in Bellamin Hall, there's a small little fundraiser. So you may not have a, a young person in the preschool yourself, but all these kids that are here, they're our kids. Okay, they're our kids. And so if you have the opportunity, please come, show your support, get to know the families that are coming. They're here every day, we just don't see them. And so, uh, so please, come and support, uh, make a connection here and there, invest, become a Barnabai, if you will. And uh, so yeah, that'll be tomorrow from 3 to 5. Funds will go to refurbishing this play area. In addition to that, last night was the first of many, hopefully, was the first children's slash youth choir practice, all right? They met here in the, in the Embellement Hall, and it was a beautiful thing. Um, I, yeah, there's a, there's a strong core of great voices, and God is going to use that ministry not just to bless these kids, but to use these kids to lift up Jesus, all right? So uh, if you know of a family that has a young person who'd be interested in joining, Debbie's here. She's got some, uh, some flyers, information sheets and things. They meet, right now the schedule is to meet on Fridays, is that right? Fridays from 5.30 to 6.30, and some food afterwards if you're interested in that. Uh, is that, is that correct? I just want to make sure. Okay, great. Anyways, hey, we're going to get into the Word this morning. Um, 
God's word is, is living and active, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And so this morning we're going to open up the Bible, but first we're going to open up with prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, you're so faithful, even when we're unfaithful. God, you are rich when we have nothing in our pockets. You are sufficient when we know that we are completely insufficient. And so, God, today we're coming to you because you're a good father, and you love to give good gifts to your children. We're asking for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, not just for the sake of a spiritual warm fuzzy. We're asking for the Spirit to transform our lives through the Word. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, um, and thank you for all that you have yet to do. We ask that as we open up the Bible, you would open up our minds God, cause us to see the things you want us to see and hear the things you want us to hear. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to the book of Acts, chapter 18. All this month, we've been hanging out in the book of Acts. And we've established that the reality is that when we're reading the book of Acts, we're not reading about the Acts of the Apostles. We're reading about the Acts of who? The acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of God, it is God himself who is using men and women, committed individuals who have surrendered their lives and are being used powerfully for the sake of lifting up Jesus. So here we are in Acts chapter 18. This is our third of our three-part series, Life on Life, the Unsung Secret of the Early Church. All, right? All this month we've been realizing that you know what? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just limited to that one day, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not limited to that day of Pentecost when there was a great shaking, there, there was a mighty wind, there were flames flickering above the apostles' head. It was not limited to that one day. But the acts of the Holy Spirit were demonstrated day after day after day through the intentional and interested living of one disciple investing in another disciple, okay? And so this is what we're talking about, life on life. And so, you know, I don't know, how many of you make it a daily habit to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How many of you make it a daily habit? If it's not a daily habit, I would encourage you to make it a daily habit. But let me ask you this, when I, when I just mention that, when I just mention praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what, what pictures come to mind? And, and this is an appropriate time to respond. What, what, what pictures come to mind when I say the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you picture, what do you, say it again? Fire. Fire. Okay, what other pictures? Pentecost, yes, in the back. Beauty, praise the Lord. Okay, okay. Does anybody picture or imagine a powerful preacher? Yeah, okay, okay. Not necessarily this preacher. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, here's, here's the reality. I'll just make this confession. Oftentimes, when I think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I think of Peter standing up and 3,000 just converted in one day. Okay? How many of you think of that, too? Yeah? That is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is not the only picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's the whole thesis of this month. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just from the occasional public manifestation. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is in the daily the private and personal interaction. Okay, so life 
on life? How is it that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can be demonstrated in the way that we connect with each other? All right. So two weeks ago, we looked at the, an individual whose name was, his real name was Joseph. His nickname was what? Barnabas, okay, son of encouragement. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was really manifest in the way he called people to his side, most famous of which was who? Okay, some said John Mark. Okay, John Mark was a man that, that was really on the run from God, often took opportunities to serve God, but really just, you know, backtracked on his commitments, ran away. But Barnabas took him by his side, and eventually John Mark writes the Gospel of Mark and becomes a powerful evangelist, okay? Another individual that Barnabas took to his side was a man named Saul, who eventually became Paul, okay? So this idea of life on life, it really transforms lives, okay? Do you understand that? It transforms lives. Last week, we looked at a story in Acts chapter 6, and we saw that as the church invested life on life, they did not just add to the church, they multiplied. You remember that? And they multiplied not just converts, they multiplied disciples. Different picture, yes? Okay, we're not just converting people to information, we're actually discipling people and establishing them in a radical, absolute, surrendered relationship with Jesus. And so here's the church in Acts chapter 6, they're growing by leaps and bounds, and there are risks, uh-oh, there are risks that come with actually being close to people. And how did the early church navigate that? Did they take the option of saying, okay, let's back off a little bit. Hey, this life on life thing, maybe it's not for us. Is that what the church did, yes or no? No, no, they persisted. They dug in their heels and said, okay, choose from among you. And so we have these seven individuals, Stephen, Philip, etc., etc. okay? And so the word of God continued to spread. Life on life was not something that was just a flavor of the month. It was the way that they chose to live out the life of Christ. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit day by day. Today, we're looking at another, mm, sometimes glossed over, some glossed over characters in the book of Acts. Let's see here. We've already read the scriptures, so I can't do a name that hero. Man, okay. <laughs> but we're talking about a couple by the name of, does anybody remember? We read it in our scripture reading. Aquila and Priscilla. Okay. So we're looking at Aquila and Priscilla, but before we get into this, let's bow our heads. Well, we already did pray, huh? Oh, praise the Lord. It's been one of those weeks, okay? <laughs> so please pray for me. We're in Acts chapter 18. Here's what I want us to do. I want us just to get a little bit of a picture. But before we get to the, Acts of eight, the end of Acts 18, Paul, at the beginning of Acts 18, he visits a town named Corinth, Okay? Corinth is an interesting town. It's actually the, the central area of a, a region called Achaia, okay? And Paul, when he gets to Corinth, he finds an individual named Aquila. Aquila happens to have the same trade as Paul, and that trade, does anybody know what trade that was? Tent making, okay, yeah. So Paul hangs out with Aquila and Priscilla in their homes. He actually uh, spends significant time there. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, just to give you an idea, they are Jews who have been on the move, okay? They've been on the move. They originated in Italy. Now, if we could just, let's pretend I'm a teacher and I'm pulling down this really big map, okay? If we had a, real, a map, 
let's just imagine the huge Mediterranean Sea right around here, okay? If we're looking for Italy, we're going to look for a boot, right? We're going to look for a boot over in the, the northwest corner here. And here, Aquila and Priscilla, they come from Italy. Eventually, they move to Corinth, which is right around over here, because Claudius actually asked all the Jews just to get out of Rome. Okay, so, so here, Aquila and Priscilla, they're on the move, and they end up in Corinth, and they run into an individual named Paul. Now, Paul has already been parakaleoed. He's already been invested in by Barnabas, and he understands what it's like to do life-on-life ministry. So Paul hangs out with Aquila and Priscilla here in Corinth. Paul continues to do ministry. He preaches powerfully. He preaches in the synagogues to other Jews. Now, as Paul is preaching to these Jews, many people believe Priscilla and Aquila among them. But do you realize that there were people who did not want to hear that Jesus was the Christ? There were individuals who understood a picture of the Messiah, who had a misunderstanding of the Christ and when they heard that Jesus, the one who is crucified, was actually the Messiah, they rejected it. Okay. So there were Jews in Corinth who did not want to adjust their understanding of the mission of the Messiah. There were Jews in Corinth who actually, they, they assembled themselves and they booted Paul out. Okay. Paul actually kind of like shook off his shoulders and said, that's it, I'm going just to Gentiles, no more, no more. Later on in, in the book, in, in the chapter, Acts chapter 18, God actually appears to Paul in verse 9. It says this, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Okay? Paul needed some courage here. And Jesus himself intervened and said, All right, I'm with you, verse 10, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So instead of running, Paul actually spends another year and a half plus in this town where he knows there's, there's resistance. I don't know about you, but I would want to get out of there right quick, okay? But Paul, he realizes something. This message is not about him. As he's doing ministry, it's not about him, but it's about preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians when he's actually writing to that church in Corinth? He says, I determined to do nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. You could say that Paul was cross-eyed, okay? He was fixed on the cross, and that's all that mattered to him. So for another year and a half, woo, another year and a half, he duped it out. He, he dug the trenches, and believers continued to grow. Disciples continued to be established. Eventually, by the time you get to verse 18, Paul goes on. So he moves from Corinth and he starts making his way down this way. He actually wants to end up in Jerusalem, way down here, okay? So he's going to do a circuit. He wants to end up in Jerusalem. He wants to attend a feast down in Jerusalem. And so Paul goes, but guess what? He takes people with him. Can you guess who he takes with him? Aquila and Priscilla. All right, so you start getting this picture that Aquila and Priscilla, they're just as mobile as the tents that they're making, okay? That <laughs> they're as easy to pick up. They don't settle down roots because they want to do what God wants them to do. And so Aquila and Priscilla go with them. Eventually, they go to Ephesus over here. And in Ephesus, 
Paul uh, continues to do ministry, but he can't stay for very long. So Paul continues, but Aquila and Priscilla, they stick around in this town called Ephesus. They stick around in this town called Ephesus. And as Paul goes, it says in verse 23, let's catch up with the scripture reading for today. Verse 23, after he had spent some time there, I'm reading from the New King James, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. What does the Bible say? What does your version say in that last phrase? Mine says strengthening all the disciples. What does yours say? Say it again. Okay, what, what's the verb for strengthening? You guys have strengthening there? Yeah, strengthening? Okay, good. The idea there is he's building it strong. That's the Greek verb, building it strong. So he's establishing disciples there. Again, life on life ministry. Now here's the picture that we want us to see. Because as Paul goes on to establish disciples down here, the question might be asked, well, what about the disciples in Ephesus? Did they just get shortchanged or what? Well, the reality is that there are some people that he left behind by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, let's see what happens in Ephesus. In verse 24, Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Okay, so we're introduced to a new character, Apollos. Now, I don't know what visuals come to mind, if he's tall, dark, and handsome, if he's got long, wavy hair, whatever, okay? His name is Apollos, and he's coming from Alexandria. Now, if you know anything about Alexandria, Alexandria, if we're looking at our map again, Mediterranean Sea, here's Italy, Corinth, Ephesus, Jerusalem, Palestine down here. Alexandria is on the northern edge of Africa, okay? It's in Egypt. Alexandria was known for being a scholar's town, okay? It was a learned place. People who wanted to study, they wanted credentials from Alexandria, okay? So here's Apollos, and he's coming from Alexandria, and it says that he's an eloquent man. Maybe New International Version says he's a learned man. But do you realize what it is that he is learned in? The way of the Lord, yes, in verse 25. According to verse 24, it says, an eloquent man, and New King James says, mighty in the what? The scriptures. Now, I want us to notice something about Apollos, because this is very, very cool. Just because you're smart doesn't necessarily mean that's mutually exclusive from being a man of faith. A man of learning does not have to put aside his learning in order to believe. Do you recognize that, yes or no? Yeah, this, this is, maybe this is just a sensitive thing for me, because I remember as a young person, you know, I, I was very uh, interested in academic growth and, uh, you know, developing my, my scholarship and intellectual skill. And as I was deciding, making that decision, you know, senior year in high school, beginning of college, I was making a decision to actually pursue ministry. I remember having teachers tell me I was going to waste my mind by pursuing ministry. Now, I don't know if that is a pervasive attitude still, but actually, you know what? Here's an announcement, by the way. This summer, we're going to have a young man, junior theology major at PUC. His name is Sam Smith. 
He graduated from Central Valley Christian Academy in 2010. He's actually going to be here with us for eight weeks this summer as a pastoral extern, okay? So, so just, just a quick announcement, quick blurb. But here, here's the reality. He was told the same thing. He was told the same thing, that he was going to waste his mind by pursuing theology instead of something of more clout or more uh, academic renown, okay? And so here's the reality. Just because you're learned doesn't necessarily exclude being mighty in the scriptures, okay? Because the reality is that God needs all sorts of people to invest their lives in the ministry, okay? Even the brightest of the bright. And, you know, I'm not saying that Sam is the brightest of the bright. I'm not saying that I'm the brightest of the bright. But I just want us to really debunk this attitude that, that there is something greater to invest our lives in than full-time ministry, okay? The, the reality is that this is it. This is it. To be mighty in this ought to be our highest priority. Yeah. And so here's Apollos. He's saying, there, so you're getting a picture of Apollos, right? Apollos isn't like this nose in the air. Oh, yes, I can tell you about Plato, Aristotle, etc. You know, okay, he's not about that. He's, he's saying, look, my mind is sharpened because I've become mighty in the scriptures. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. So he comes to Ephesus, okay? So we're following Apollos for a little bit. He comes to Ephesus in verse 25. It says, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Okay, so we're not given too much about this man's history, but it does tell us that he was instructed. In other words, he didn't instruct himself he was instructed by someone else. At some level, Apollos himself was a recipient of life-on-life life ministry, okay? Actually, the verb, it literally is sounded down. Uh, it, it's kata, which means down or according to, and, and oh, I forget the, the rest of the verb, but it's sounded down. So the instruction was passed along, probably oral instruction. And so here, uh, Apollos is such a learner that he doesn't exclude himself to others' information, okay? This will become key as Aquila and Priscilla come into his life, okay? So he's instructed in the way of the Lord. By the way, that phrase, way of the Lord, it's, uh, it's quoted several times, but usually in reference to the ministry of John the Baptist. You remember when John the Baptist was asked, hey, who are you? He says, I'm the voice in the wilderness, crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord, okay? So he was instructed in the way of the Lord. It says this, and being fervent in spirit, right? He was zealous. He was passionate about what he understood, okay? It wasn't just information for information's sake. It had transformed his life. Oh, he was zealous. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. NIV says the things concerning Jesus. And it says this, Though he knew only the what? The baptism of John. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So here's a man who's learned, and he's mighty in the scriptures. Here's a man who's been instructed. He's been a recipient of life-on-life -life ministry. And here's a man whose instruction is not yet complete. Okay. Now what was this? The baptism of John. When we say the baptism of John, what, what do we really mean by this? Did he only know that, that, G, that John, uh, you know, was the only baptizer? What, how, when we understand this phrase, baptism of John, 
we can equate it to the instruction of John the Baptist, okay? So here's Apollos. Remember, he's, he's from down south, okay? <laughs> he's from Alexandria. So he's not in, you know, where all the action is in Jerusalem around Palestine, where John the Baptist actually was, where Jesus was doing his ministry in Galilee, Capernaum, etc. He's not in, in the thick of it. So all the stuff he hears about, and he's recognizing. Do you remember what John was preaching? It, if we came out down to one line, it said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? His message was a message of repentance. In fact, in chapter 19, there's a group of disciples who only knew the baptism of John. In chapter 19, it says this, verse 4. Paul clarifies this. He says, John indeed baptized with a baptism of, what's the next word? Repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Amen. So when we, when we hear this idea, baptism of John, that's what Apollos was acquainted with, that's what this group of believers was acquainted with in chapter 19. They were acquainted with the baptism of John, but that was just a baptism of repentance. Now, is repentance an important thing, yes or no? Amen. All right, repentance is simply turning away, right? We, we, did, we talked about this. If, this is re if I'm going one direction, repentance is doing a U-turn, right? Going in another direction. Okay, so repentance is turning away, specifically a turning away from sin. That is important, but it's not the whole picture. And here was Apollos, who understood, just like John understood, that Jesus was the Messiah, Yet he didn't quite have the full picture. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. You know, it's one thing to tell people to turn away from sin, but it's another thing to tell people what they're turning to. Amen. Let me say it like this. It's one thing to turn people away from sin, but it's a whole other thing to turn people to the Savior from sin. And so if... Okay, we'll just stop right there. <laughs> Let me just read something from Sketches from the Life of Paul. This, this kind of gives us a picture of, of uh, John, excuse me, Apollos' limited understanding. It says this. Sketches from the Life of Paul, page 119. 119. It says this. Apollos had not a thorough knowledge of the mission of Christ, his resurrection and ascension, and of the work of his spirit, the comforter which he sent down to remain with his people during his absence. Whoa, okay. So, so while Apollos was mighty in the scriptures, he was mighty enough to tell people, look, look, these sins, these things, we, we need to resolve to turn away from that. So he was preaching resolution to turn away from sin, but he had not a full picture of who Christ was to preach regeneration from sin. So here's Apollos. He didn't have a full picture of what the Messiah was really about. Remember, John the Baptist, he himself didn't have a complete picture of what Jesus was really all about. Do you remember that one time? You know, John the Baptist, he was holed up in prison for a while. He sent some disciples to ask Jesus, hey, are you the one we're looking for, or is there someone else? And he wasn't quite clear. Why? Because remember, John, who was a product of his time, he had expected that the Messiah would come and 
undo the oppressive kingdoms of this world. Now, was Jesus someone to undo oppression, yes or no? Yes, he was. But what kind of oppression was he undoing? The oppression of sin. He wasn't undoing the kingdoms of Rome. He was undoing the reign of sin in our lives. That was the mission of the Christ. And so Apollos had to be further instructed. Apollos, do you realize then that if we understand that Jesus was not just this conquering king to come and undo earthly kingdoms, but that he was a conquering king to remove the reign of sin in our lives, do you see how vastly different the baptism of John would be from the baptism of Jesus? Because the baptism of John would just be a a resolution to turn from sin, while the baptism of Jesus is saying, hey, look, not just turning away from sin, but coming to the Savior who can actually save you from sin. Whoa, this is different. This is different. Apollos didn't know that Jesus Christ had died for our sins, that he had resurrected from the grave, that he ascended to heaven to be our high priest. So he didn't know the death of Christ as the lamb, nor did he know the life of Christ as our high priest. It was a completely different story. So here's Apollos, back to chapter 18. Verse 26 says this, So he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Right? He's still, he's learned, he's instructed in the way of the Lord, only to the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, so we've spent some time kind of painting a picture of Apollos. Now let's take a look a little bit at Aquila and Priscilla. When Aquila and Priscilla sat in the synagogue that day, they heard this fiery preacher, this learned preacher, and I'm sure there was a smile on their face. I'm sure there were hearty amens. I'm sure there were hallelujahs. I'm sure they were excited about what God was doing in this young man's life. But as they listened, they could see the way of the Lord, but not to its full completion. Now, did Apollos, excuse me, did Aquila and Priscilla simply wish him a happy Sabbath and goodbye, see you later, have nice travels? What did they do? The New King James says they took him aside. What does the NIV say? Who's got it? What? They invited him home. Oh, okay. All right, we're going to make a, a few observations right quick. A few observations. First of all, it's Aquila and Priscilla. Do you realize that it wasn't just Aquila who approached Apollos? Nor was it just Priscilla who approached Apollos. Every time we see Aquila and Priscilla in the New Testament, they are together. So one observation first, they're a team. I love that. Okay, there's a team approach here. Okay, so Aquila and Priscilla, they've got, they're a team together. Second thing is, they don't just take a hands-off approach. They don't just say, ah, he'll get it someday. (laughs) They actually took an initiative. And I would say, they didn't wait for Paul to come back and correct this young buck. Instead, they actually did it themselves. Had they credentials? 
had they a seminary training? I would say no. Yet they recognized that there was a responsibility in their hands to invest in this individual. Friends, do you understand that it doesn't take seminary training to invest in the life of someone else? <laughs> nor does it take a theology degree, nor does it take credentials or having an official position or a ministry title or whatever. You may be a tent maker and still invest in someone else's life. Aquila and Priscilla, they were a team. Aquila and Priscilla took the initiative. They didn't wait for someone else to do it. They didn't wait for someone else more qualified, more experienced, or whatever. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla were discipled by Paul himself. They had experienced life-on-life -life ministry. They had been on the receiving end of life-on-life -life ministry, but they didn't stay on the receiving end of life-on-life -life ministry. That's the beauty of life-on-life -life ministry. It reproduces itself. It multiplies itself. It cascades into other people's lives. Okay. So here they are, they're a team. Here they are, they take the initiative. And here they are, they take Apollos to their home. I think that's beautiful. They didn't just, you know, th there, were, there were multiple options available to them. They could have stood up in the congregation and said, Apollos, hey bud, you've got it wrong, <laughs> okay? But did they do that, yes or no? No. They took a route that was more dignified, they took a route that was less distracted, and they took a route that was more personal. This is really key. This is really key. If we're wanting to be a church, if we're wanting to be individuals who understand how to do life-on-life -life ministry, life-on-life -life ministry is not constituted by correcting from a distance. Do you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay, we don't yell reproofs. Nor do we yell rebukes. In fact, even before the rebukes, even before the reproofs, comes a personal invitation to my home. Wow. Does that mean that I have to own a home before I can do life-on-life -life ministry? No. Okay? But your home can be the very warmth of your presence. Okay? And so, whether it's taking him aside here, to, you know, by the waterfall, whether it's taking him aside to your own table in, in the fellowship hall, whether it's taking him aside to your own living room, to your own fireside, whatever the case may be, the idea is you're taking them in. The idea, remember Barnabas? Barnabas took Saul. Do you remember that? Barnabas took Saul. He literally caught him. It's a similar word. It's lumbano means to take. In, in the case of Barnabas taking Saul, it was epilumbano. It was an epic Lumbano. Okay? That means it was an intensive catching. He really saved Saul. Otherwise, Saul would have gone off the deep end, totally rejected by the disciples. So Barnabas took epically Saul. In this case, when, when it says that Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos, it's Lumbano, but it's not Epilumbano. It's not this vigorous, oh, let me get you. It's proslumbano, which means it's a directional taking. They're taking him towards them. Okay, so this is a literal embrace. And, and I think NIV has it right. They took him to their home. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla have had a home that's been used by other people. Uh, back in Corinth, right? They had set up a home there. And who did they take in? They took in Paul. In the letter to the Romans, when Paul is writing to different people, 
apparently Aquila and Priscilla eventually moved back to Rome. And it says, Paul is writing in Romans chapter 16 and verse 5, and he says, hey, greet the church that meets at Aquila and Priscilla's home. Whoa. So Aquila and Priscilla actually used their home, not just in this one time with Paul, nor in this one time with Apollos, but week by week, possibly day by day, to take people in, even a house church. Wow. So here's this beautiful picture of a team who take the initiative and who opens their home to take people in. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him, they took him aside, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think that took? How long do you think it took? Uh, what was the process like? What do you think it sounded like? Okay, let, let, if we're going with this idea that they took him to their house, what did that conversation sound like? What did it look like? And how long did it take? I would imagine that it took more than five minutes. It takes time. Yeah. It's a relationship. Do you notice that Apollos, remember, he's a learned man from Alexandria. He could have easily said, Aquila, Priscilla, where did you come from? Did he, yes or no? No. So it says something about Apollos. He was humble enough to be a learner, but it also says something about Aquila and Priscilla to have an approach with Apollos that would actually be welcome. I believe this approach took time. I believe this approach took compassion and understanding. Do you remember, it says in verse 26, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, then they took him aside. You know, it's a good rule of thumb. Before explaining or correcting, first listen. <laughs> I don't know if you've picked this up. I'm trying to pick this up as a parent to my, <laughs> to my three-year-old who's going on 13, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, there are certain things that I just don't understand, and I definitely want to correct, but I'm trying to pick up the habit to listen and understand first. Did I really understand what you were trying to do? What was the meaning behind that action or word? You know, what were you feeling there? And before I can speak, I've got to earn the right to speak by listening. I think Aquila and Priscilla earned the right to speak by hearing him first. This is a good rule of thumb. They're, they're really modeling something very powerful. And eventually they go ahead. They give him the full-on, full-throttle picture. Jesus was not just one to look forward to. Jesus was the hope of all hopes. He undid not just the earthly kingdoms, he undid the reign of sin and the life. Jesus' death paid the penalty, not just for him, not, not just for one individual, but for all of humanity throughout history. But Jesus did not stay in the grave. Eventually, he rose from the grave, and he's in the sanctuary today. Hebrews 7.25, able to save to the uttermost all those who come to him. Able to save to the uttermost. And so here, Aquila and Priscilla are preaching the full gospel to a man who has learned mighty in the scriptures. And so what's the end result? What's the end result? Verse 27. When he desired to cross to Achaia, remember they're in Ephesus this whole time, Apollos wants to go back to Achaia. 
That, that's where Corinth is. That's where Aquila and Priscilla were before. That's where they jetted from with Paul. That's where the Jews got together and said, hey, get out of here, enough to the extent that Paul was like, hey, no more with the Jews, let me just go to the Gentiles. So somewhere along the line, in their home conversations, maybe Apollos asked questions back. So how did you guys get here, huh? How did you end up in Ephesus? And maybe Aquila and Priscilla shared the stories. Oh man, we used to live in Corinth, and when Paul came to town, he totally turned our world upside down. But praise the Lord Jesus, we serve him a living Savior today. And so Aquila and Priscilla, maybe they told Apollos about this group of, of people who were just completely resistant to this message that Jesus was the Christ. And Apollos could, I imagine Apollos hearing that, and he's realizing what it means that Jesus is the Christ for himself. He's so fired up. He was fired up before, but now even more so. And he's saying, no, nah, we've got to go back to these people that just don't see the full picture. Let me tell them about it. And so Apollos wants to go back to this area that was completely resistant to the message of the cross. Verse 27, When he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Verse 28, For he vigorously refuted, thoroughly, <laughs> with hands down, he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that what? Jesus is the Christ. Now with your eyes, quickly look at chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos is so thoroughly instructed now by Aquila and Priscilla who they themselves were instructed by Paul, now he's going back to Corinth and preaching to the same resistant rabble <laughs> the same message of the cross. And what happens? No questions asked anymore. <laughs> People see, okay, Jesus is the desire of all ages. He is the hope of all hopes. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the High Priest of God who redeems me from the sins of the world. Whoa, Jesus is the Christ. Apollos apparently could preach nothing but the Christ. And I believe, going back to Aquila and Priscilla, that that is the measuring stick of our life-on-life life ministry. When we invest in someone's life, what are they preaching about when they leave our presence? Ask that question. When I invest in somebody's life, what are they excited about when they leave my presence? You know, the reality is we can take people in, we can invest in people. Maybe it's a coworker who just has some off-theology. And you spend some time, lunches, power lunches, whatever it is, time at the, you know, the water cooler, and you're just constantly like, you know, you're, you're pouring yourself out and trying to correct them. No, 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 it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. Question, at the end of the day, what are they going to preach about when they leave your presence? I pray that it would be that Jesus is the Christ. Because the reality is, we can thoroughly instruct others on which day is right 
We can thoroughly instruct others on what food is right. But if they have no idea that Jesus is the Christ, I think somewhere we have missed the point. Oh, do you realize, friends, that we have a deep need? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not important that we tell people that the seventh day is the Sabbath day, okay? I'm not saying that it's not important that we teach people health principles. But friends, if we have no idea how those teachings demonstrate Jesus is the Christ, then somewhere we are missing the point. Because we ought not to be leaving the impression on people's hearts and minds that we are right. We ought to be leaving the impression of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. So now the question is, okay, so what about these teachings that we know are right? Friend, we must recognize that these teachings are more than just right. These teachings are a revelation of Jesus. Whoa, wait, wait. So 2,300 days. What? October 22, 1844. How is that a revelation of Jesus? Could it be that the longest time prophecy that garnered the greatest amount of attention in Scripture and throughout redemptive history is actually pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is in the heavenly sanctuary doing a work to not just forgive sin, not just to cleanse from sin, but to remove the presence of sin from the entire universe? Whoa! That's the 2300 days pointing to Jesus as the Christ. State of the dead. What? Okay, we sleep. How does that reveal Jesus? Friend, could it be that to not realize that we sleep when we die is to automatically assume that without Christ, we can continue living, whether there or here. Could it be that the deception of the, of the devil to say that you shall not surely die is the assumption that you can live with or without Christ? But knowing that the dead sleep until what day? The resurrection, right? Knowing that is an automatic confession. Life is only in Jesus Christ. So these teachings are not just right. They are revealing Jesus Christ. So when we take people in, when we take people into our homes, when we take people into our presence, I pray that we would use that measuring stick. I don't want them to know that I'm right. Only. I want them to have a revelation of Jesus Christ. That ought to be our measuring stick. Aquila and Priscilla, they produced a disciple who could only preach that Jesus was the Christ. Wow, powerful, powerful. I want to be like that, amen? What does it take? So what does it take to be an Aquila and Priscilla? Three things I would suggest. Three simple things. First, it takes a team approach. Someone's saying, well, I'm not married. <laughs> how, can I, how can I possibly be an Aquila or Priscilla if I'm not? No, I'm not talking about that. Although, let me say this to husbands and wives. You guys are a, are a divinely appointed tag team, okay? You can reach individuals by the nature of your loving relationship that others may not be able to. So if you're a husband, if you're a wife, pray the Lord would give you a team ministry, Okay? But let me, let me just address those of us who may not necessarily be privileged with that team dynamic, okay? The reality is, with this team approach, we recognize 
just like Aquila and Priscilla, they weren't the first to affect Apollos, nor were they the last. They understood a team approach, a greater team approach, that, look, okay, I, I may not be the only person to invest in this one individual, and I may not be the last. So it, it's requiring a humility to say, okay, I'm going to play my part by taking this person in. I'm not the end all, but I'll do my part. That's what I mean by team approach. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay. So one, it takes a team approach. Two, I'm, I'm wording this very carefully. Two, it takes a humble boldness. A humble boldness. Humility because the reality is Aquila and Priscilla did not just like, you know, they didn't take Apollos and say, hey, let me put you in your place. Okay? That's not what Aquila and Priscilla did. They were humble in their approach. At the same time, they were bold in their approach. They were humble to the extent that, okay, maybe I don't have all the answers, but this is what I do know. But they were bold enough to not just say, someday he'll get it, hopefully from someone else. <laughs> That's not what they were. They were humble and bold. Okay, so one, it takes a team approach. Two, it takes a humble boldness. And three, the gift of time. The gift of time. Or maybe I could say this, the sacrifice of time. <laughs> does, that, does that capture it better? Some of us are like, I don't have the time to invest in someone. The reality is it takes a time. If we're going to do life-on-life life ministry, it takes time. Not just like, you know, one-hour chunks, but it takes repeated time, repeated influences. And it takes the gift of time because it's only in a context that is free from hurry, in which you can invest interest, effort, compassion. You know, Ellen White, she has this, um, this metaphor of, you know, back in the day, people used to melt wax, put it on an envelope, and then do you know what they would press into it? Like a seal, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she used this metaphor, she, she used it as um, a picture of how God impresses our hearts and just kind of shapes our characters, and how God presses the seal of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. It's beautiful. But she also uses that metaphor of, of wax and then impressing the seal, she also uses it in the way that we influence each other. Now let me read you something, because this is very powerful. This is from... Uh, Manuscript releases number 19, page 99. Okay, this is this. Manuscript releases number 19, page 99. It says, If you would impress upon the wax a clear and vivid impression of the seal, you would not dash the seal upon it in hasty, violent action. Do you understand the picture she's talking about? It's like, you've got that melted wax, you've got your seal. It's not like you're just going to go a touch and go, there it is, there's the seal, right? What would you end up with? Some splotches, maybe? A little mound here and there? Okay. So she's saying you wouldn't do it in a hasty, violent action, but you would carefully place the seal on the plastic wax and quietly and steadily press it down until it has hardened in the mold. Do you see the time that it takes there? 
right? Sticking it to it, right? It's not violent, it's not hasty, but it's quiet and steady. Okay, she goes on. In like manner, notice the application, catch this. In like manner, deal with human souls. Wow. Think about this. Think about this. The way we deal with human souls, is it violent and hasty? I pray not. I pray not. But you know what? The violent and hasty is easier. Do you realize that? When a little child is doing something wrong, hey, okay, (laughs) violent, hasty. It takes more time and effort to come close, to listen, to take a side, to be quiet and steady in our impression. Same way with people that we're working with, lives that we're investing in, okay? She says, in like manner deal with human souls. The continuity of Christian influence upon minds trains the soul after Christ and puts through human instrumentalities the new life implanted by the Spirit of God after his own likeness. Now, maybe for some of us that was just like, okay. But here's what she's saying. As you work steadily and quietly, pressing upon a molding influence in other people's minds and hearts. God is actually using you to do what the Spirit of God would do in their lives. Wow. And catch it. It's not violent and hasty. It's quiet and steady. So we're talking about Aquila and Priscilla. Team approach, yes. Humble boldness, yes. Gift of time to make a quiet, steady impression upon Apollos. Question today, how many of us would like to invest our lives to create the impress of Christ? <laughs> how many of us want to be able to, to, to act like the seal and come so close to people that when we leave, when they walk from our presence, they have the impress of Christ? That all they can speak about, all they can preach about, all they can live about is Jesus as the Christ. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be violent and hasty in my actions. I don't want to take this life-on-life ministry for granted and say, ah, you know, someone else will do it. Yes, there is a team approach. Yes, we understand that. But we need a humble boldness. We need that team approach. We need that time to be able to impress the impress of Christ. So that's, that's my prayer today. Who else would like to make that their prayer today? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, today we know that through your Holy Spirit, you do a work in us. You're gentle. And your timing is perfect. And when you press, you come close. You're not a God who works from a distance. You are the God who comes near. Lord, I pray that because you are that kind of God, we would be that kind of people. I pray that you would make us so mindful of others' needs that we would hear and listen, that we would give the gift of time, that we would come close, that we would invest our lives. Lord, I pray if there are specific individuals that, that you want us to seek out today even, or this week, 
that you would write it on our hearts and minds, that we would write it down in our, in our calendars, that we would not forget so that we could come close, be intentional, and take people in. Lord, I pray that, that the couples in this congregation would be empowered to do a ministry that is above and beyond anything they could ask or think. So Lord, empower couples in this congregation. Lord, empower us as individuals to not just wait for someone else to do something, but for us to be humble and bold enough to seek after people. Lord, I also pray that you would consecrate our homes that those of us who are blessed with living spaces would be open enough to use these homes as places of warmth, as places to extend your warm embrace. And Lord, as we seek you, I pray that in all of our seeking, we would not just learn to be right, but that we would learn to reveal Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you can do this, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit we pray in Christ's saving name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.